Real Estate Roundup, live, presented by Carrot.com. October 25th through the 27th at the beautiful Beau Rivage Resort and Casino in Biloxi, Mississippi. Three days of intense training from the guys that brought you the Real Estate Roundup Group. This event is going to be deep diving into every step of the process you'll go through when converting leads into cash. From identifying quality leads, marketing methods, negotiating, and more. You're going to learn how to adopt the right mindset when Max Maxwell takes the stage. Right out of the gate, Friday morning. You're going to understand how to have quality conversations with distressed sellers as Brent Daniels delivers his tips straight from his TTP playbook. Mr. Sippy himself will show you the exact Facebook campaign we ran to hit our first $100,000 month. Big Sip is going to share his best negotiating tactics that have made him hundreds of thousands of dollars extra on deals. Then we'll close out Sunday with a true real estate veteran, Leon Johnson himself. Showing creative strategies for all real estate investors. This event is not for the faint of heart. Make no mistake, this will be three full days of intense training, covering the specifics you need to take your real estate business to the next level. We've only got room for 250 serious investors that are ready to step up and take charge of their financial future. Are you one of them? Do you feel like your lead flow is too inconsistent? Does it seem like you're not closing enough deals? Are you leaving money on the table by not negotiating enough? Having a hard time developing a specific plan of focused action? Struggling to fit everything into your schedule because you already work full-time? Suffering from analysis paralysis because you're not comfortable with contracts? Getting bogged down trying to have that initial conversation with sellers? Trying to break into the business on a tight budget? Dipping your toes in but feel like you're spinning your wheels? Wasting a lot of time and not making any money? If you've answered yes to any of these, you're not alone. That's why we're filling the room with real estate millionaires to show you precisely how they did it and teach you how you can too. It doesn't matter if you're a wholesaler, flipper, buy and hold investor, or still undecided. We're going to show you how to identify good leads, contact those leads, negotiate good deals, and get paid. When we wrap up on Sunday, you'll have a definite plan of action that's customized to you and your market. For more info, go to www.rerlive.com. You're listening to the Real Estate Roundup Podcast. The Real Estate Roundup Podcast. The only place where your real estate investing questions get actual answers each and every week. This is game-changing education, guaranteed to take your real estate investing business to a higher level. No fluff, no BS, and no sales pitches. Just the best real estate investing advice around. Learn the tips and tricks that have helped us generate over $1.2 million a year in revenue. On a minimal budget. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat to discover where they began, where they are now, where they're heading, and how you can model their success. We'll dive deep into the questions and topics and deliver actionable steps you can start making today to duplicate their results. Duplicate their results. This is the Real Estate Roundup. And here are your hosts, Adam Big Sip Johnson and Brent Mr. Sippy Moreno. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? 
Hopefully you guys can see us now. Uh, appreciate you guys hanging in there. We're going to start doing these a little bit earlier um, so we can get some people on and uh, obviously run that sweet little intro there. I like that. What do you think about that, Adam? I am... Uh, I'm just... I'm still amazed, man. This is all... <laughs> I know, like, I'm not allowed to touch the board or anything, but it's pretty cool just being in the room. <laughs> so, what's going on, everybody? Uh, my name is Brent Mississippi Marino. This is Adam Big Sip Johnson. Uh, we got a lot of new faces in the group, and can, can you, I can't explain why that would happen. Can you explain why that happened? Mm. Any idea why we got a bunch of new people? And we met a few people in Phoenix last we week. We did meet. We're going to talk about Phoenix a little bit tonight. Uh, we kind of do a recap of like what our experience was out there. Met some incredible people. Um, but as far as uh, all that goes, we were on bigger pockets. And thank you guys that have already joined the group. That's fantastic. We'd love to have you guys here. We do this every single Tuesday, uh, at least that we can make it anyways. Every single Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And more times than not, we usually have a topic. Sometimes we have a guest. Uh, tonight we're going to do all live Q&A. So we're going to kind of kind of just go into what our trip was like and Phoenix and some of the things like that. But just know normally the way this works is we cover a topic or talk to a guest for anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. And then we open up the questions uh, the last 30 minutes. So tonight, if you got questions, go ahead and start asking them. We're going to start kind of going back and forth. Uh, talking about our trip in Phoenix. So if well, you, want, you want to go ahead? Talk I about was going to say, what was your number one takeaway? Um, my number one takeaway? Mm. That's a good question. Why don't you answer that first? So mine is a constant reminder. And uh, guys, I've, I've been doing this 16 and a half years. I don't know it all by any stretch of the imagination. Don't claim to. Um, and And hope I don't learn it all because that would make it pretty boring. Um, but I'm constantly reminded of how important it is to network and to stay in touch with people. Um, our little trip to Phoenix, which which was just phenomenal in itself, like what we had planned was great. We, we did a um, Real Estate Disruptor podcast with Steve Trang. If you guys don't follow Real Estate Disruptors and watch that podcast, spectacular. Uh, I know a lot of people on here saw us on Bigger Pockets. That actually aired the Thursday before we left. Um, I think what twelve, fourteen hours after we did Real Estate Disruptors, which is a live show, right? And um, but really, in the meantime, it, it was just a totally different ball game where it, it's a constant reminder of get out of your bubble and network with people. If it's a different, it could be the same market. It could be a different market. But I mean, we we tossed around. Who all did we talk to? We talked to Haim, Steve Trang. We talked to Brian. We talked to Pace. We spent actually Pace drove us around all day. Pace, yeah, Pace was our Uber driver for I don't know a good uh, a good. I mean, pretty much all day, twelve or thirteen hours. Took us I on think. appointments. We went and bought a mobile home when we were with him. Felt like we were just right at home. Felt right at home. <laughs> the little old double wide with. Little water damage smelled just like Mississippi. Um, but it's just, it's a constant reminder of how important it is to be around people that think the same way you do, but have different ideas. Um, that was my big takeaway. It's just a constant reminder that, like, hey, you got to stay plugged in. You've got to network, nurture your network. Because, um, I mean, we came along, uh, came a- away with a lot of good ideas. 
that are probably going to make us substantial amounts more money than we would have had we not done the networking while we were there. And it was a lot of fun. It was. It, we had a fantastic time. I, I can't say enough about like how awesome Steve was. Uh, everyone we met, Pace, obviously fantastic. I couldn't ask for anything better than to just be driven around all day, going on appointments. He's introduced us to a lot of great people. Fantastic, fantastic. We went to Brent Daniels' office. Oh, uh, gosh. That was <laughs> – there's so many. Like yeah. Brent Daniels, Eric, Marv, Zach. Yeah. So we, we had a fantastic time in Phoenix. Uh, happy to be back because I was actually in Atlanta the weekend prior. So I was in Atlanta, what, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Got in around 1030 and then packed my bags or repacked. Thankfully, my wife had everything clean for me. So I, was I say just swapped out. Swapped <laughs> out and then just uh, at 330 in the morning left to go to the airport to go out to Phoenix. And I thought I was going to be exhausted. But I, one thing I found out is that I can always catch a second or third wind if we're talking about real estate. And we went and had lunch with Haim and Brian, and we sat there for like four and a half hours. I hadn't even been to the hotel yet. Still had my bags with me from the airport and just sat there and had a great time, made some great friends. Um, but, yeah, anyways. Uh, also, we want to make a quick announcement. If you didn't already know, which you should have already gotten an email if you already have tickets, we unfortunately had to change the dates to the event to Real Estate Roundup Live from October 18th to 20th to October 25th through the 27th. Uh, just one weekend later, there were some issues with the hotel booking. Uh, if you already have a hotel booked at the Beau Rivage, they have already taken care of your reservation and moved it over. Uh, if there's any any uh, scheduling conflicts that you may have and you have a ticket already and you need, need to uh, cancel or whatever the case may be, you could do so, info at rerlive.com. That's info at rerlive.com. Uh, other than that, look forward to seeing everybody. We've been selling a good bit of tickets. Uh, it's going to be a phenomenal event. We added, we added Steve Trang to the event, so Steve's all going to be there. So I'm, I'm basically going to come up with a whole new flyer for this thing because Hein might be coming now. He's looking at coming, so... We're going to run out of room on the paper. <clears throat> yeah, we're definitely going to run out of some room. So we're going to have a flyer that's about as long as a six-foot table uh, that would be, we'll have all of our speakers on there. But, you know, Brent Daniels, Max Maxwell, Heim, Steve Trang, I mean, Willie Coleman, all kinds of people. Your wife? Yeah, my lovely wife will be there talking contracts. Um, I mean, your dad. Look, he, <laughs> you, most of you, if you've been in the Roundup for a while, you know who he is. For those of you that are just joining us, let me tell you what. I would pay, which fortunately I don't I don't have to pay, but I would pay $500 just to sit in a room with him for a day if I wasn't fortunate enough to grow up with him. It's just a he's a he's a different kind of animal. He's been doing this 45 years. He still studies 2 hours a day and I can I I mean I can come up with some stuff, right? I mean like yeah. those of you that know me, I can get creative on a deal. I'm telling you, this man is at a different level. He's going to be a treat on Sunday. He's not only speaking once, he's speaking twice. He's got the majority of the day on yeah, Sunday. He's got the majority of the day on Sunday because what he's teaching, you need to sit there with your notes. But anyways, that's enough about the event. Hopefully you guys, uh, again, you can purchase those tickets right now, rerlive.com. I do believe we're sold out of early birds. If there are any that are left, there might be one or two maybe. I haven't went and checked on on that left on that yet, but uh, there's like two or three diamonds left, and a bunch of general uh, gold level, and a bunch of uh, 
Platinums left. So if you guys need to go get your tickets, RERlive.com. Uh, I don't expect them to last past July. So don't wait. If you think you're going to come or you think you want to come, go ahead and get them. If you have a scheduling conflict later on, as long as within a reasonable time, we'll get those back to you. So get them while you can. Otherwise, they'll be gone. All right, so we're going to talk for just a minute. Um, but in the meantime, we want to do straight Q&A. I think we've had, what, 600 new members in the roundup in the last six days? It's been insane. Five, no, less than that, four days or so, five days since so, Thursday morning. Yeah, it's been something like 600. <clears throat> it was enough we couldn't tag everybody in, in our posts that we typically do. Yeah. Um, but go ahead and start plugging in your questions. We wanted to do a live Q&A because we, we're a little uncertain on how many new people are going to be on board. So we want to start answering some of those questions and just give you guys exactly what you're looking for. Um, however, there's a few things. So w- one thing that I learned today, and I always try to look back at the end of the day, I encourage you guys to do this, whether it's real estate related or, or what have you, pick the top four or five things that are most important to you. Obviously, you know that real estate is very important to us. But every day at the end of the day, I try to start thinking, what did I learn today that will make me better tomorrow? And one of my biggest things today was just don't discount the little deals, right? In the wholesale world, it's really easy to get caught up in, man, there's a, you know, these guys are $20,000 check minimum. I don't even know if it's worth doing a deal if I'm not making five or six or whatever the case is. So we hear it all the time. Bottom line is those deals are still great deals. And you can do those deals, make a little money. If nothing else, especially in the beginning, offset your costs and and have the experience of doing the deals. It, real estate is one of the only things I've ever been able to find where you can actually get paid to educate yourself. And, and if there was ever a college that came out with a plan like that, I might go back for a degree. I'm not sold on it yet, but I consider it. <laughs> Um, but guys, don't discount that. Same with JV deals. Don't discount the education you can get by going through that process, especially if you make 500 bucks. The guy I rode with today, right? His first wholesale deal, he's, he's done some buy and holds. He's had some other investments for a while. Um, never done a flip, never done a wholesale deal. And in the last two weeks, he no, three weeks, I'm sorry. He closed out his first wholesale deal, made $540, and was thrilled because he said, man, he said, I'd have paid that to go through that process and just figure it all out. And then we looked at two deals today, which I think we've locked up both of them, and we'll split eight grand. Yeah. A little house cleaning I want to do. Alex, this reminded me to say something. So Alex asked, what's a good place to get wholesaling contracts, and what should we Look for in the contract to protect all parties involved. We have a contract in our file section. Oh, disclaimer. But in saying that, disclaimer, we are not attorneys. We're not CPAs. We're not lawyers. We're not anybody giving you legal advice. We're simply talking about what we use. If you want, take that file, take that document, if you're getting in the wholesaling, and take it to your attorney. Uh, If you don't have an attorney, go to the RIA meeting and ask everybody else who they're using or find the RIA meeting Facebook group or meetup app, ask everybody who they're using because you want to find a uh, investor-friendly attorney or title company, uh, whichever your state needs or uses. Um, 
And if you need questions to ask that person, you can also look in the file section. CC, who is our attorney and my wife, uh, has posted in the group. So you can question, have, have the correct questions to ask the attorney that you're, or title company that you're looking to use for your investment deals. One thing for those of you that are new to contracts, um, there's, there's a couple options. Obviously, you can pull those contracts out. What we recommend if you're, if you're somewhat unfamiliar with contracts, if you're not super comfortable with them, then what you need to do is print those contracts off. They are in a PDF by design, not by default, um, because I know what's in there, so I have Word documents. For those of you that are new to this business, I'm not going to do you the disservice of providing you something that you can copy and paste because it is exactly that. It would be a, very much a disservice. Yeah. So go through and retype those. And if you go to YouTube, look up Wholesale Hackers, and you can go in and look for live Q&A episode 10 on contracts. It's in two parts, but we basically go line by line. Again, with the disclaimer, we're not attorneys. We're not giving legal advice. But we go line by line through our contracts and explain why we do things a certain way, why certain things are in the contract, and what things in there that we will not take out under any circumstances. Yeah. Uh, Kimberly Amelia asked, do you recommend joining investor groups to meet other local investors? I feel like, you remember Night at the Roxbury? And they said, are you guys brothers? And they went, no. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's pretty much the answer there. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, always, always join as many groups uh, as possible, especially of like-minded people. Your network is your net worth. You ever heard that one? That's very true. So make sure you surround yourself with like-minded people, and you can do that very easily by joining RIA groups. Now, I don't, I don't suggest going there. Find a good group. There's a lot of groups that have, you know, guys that travel in and out every single week and sell courses and all that stuff, which is fine. Uh, you can often learn a little bit of things on some of the stuff they're presenting. Don't necessarily have to, you know, buy the buy the truck every time somebody has one for sale. Um, but go learn, network. Uh, a lot of times, you know, I've, I've made a lot of friends outside of the room who are just out there chit-chatting, talking to other investors, and those are usually the guys that are there every week just networking anyways, uh, trying to find some deals. So definitely go. Definitely meet as many investors as you can. Um, pick their brains, add some value to their lives, um, all that and above. So it's worth every penny, worth every bit of your time to go and do that. Just to um, just to put it in perspective for you, we think that it's so important that we created our own group. So in our market, there really wasn't an investor group. Um, we started one a little over, what was it, three years ago, I think? I think March was three years. Um, and now we're at probably 50 plus per meeting and which is crazy because everybody's like why would you train your competition but we do more deals with more people and make more money now than we ever have before because when you raise everybody's education level everybody makes more money so that's that's how important that is um we got a lot of good i do want to point out something we're talking about contracts shout out to vincent closed his first deal we got to right, hit the button. What button? The applause button. Uh, I think I moved that one. Oh, <laughs> we need to label it. This is why I'm not allowed to touch no, anything. I, no, I'm pretty sure it's like completely off of there now. Oh, we got it. I'm sorry, Vincent. We'll get that applause button back for you. Um, <laughs> we tried. 
But Vincent closed his first deal, and he just reiterated. He said, what Adam said is, is exactly what I did. Retype the contracts. Watch both videos twice. It's a must, in my opinion. That'll give you – I haven't found anything on contracts better than that. Yeah. Um, on your direct mail letters, do you use your company logo or just straight text? Also, these are some really good questions. Y'all keep them, keep them coming. Keep your questions coming. Yeah. So the letters, that's a really good question. So let's just talk about how we did direct mail. So I think, I think it's only fair to say that we don't do direct mail or, and never have in the typical sense of the word, right? So like when everybody says, oh, we do direct mail, we mailed out letters, but not in any kind of a grand scheme. So what we would do is we would be very heavy on the front end and sorting everything out, going through and really scrubbing the list. We took out everything that we weren't interested in and and basically just called into the deals that we knew we would buy and have a good opportunity to do so. And so we would send out smaller amounts of mail, but it's the same letter every time. Now, if you want to copy that letter, it's actually in the file section. And somebody asked, can we post a link to the file section? You guys are in luck because Facebook actually did that for us. Um, so I know, do you have to be on a computer? Uh, I'm not sure if you have to be on a computer or not. Maybe. It's a possibility. I know from a computer you can do it. So when you pull up Real Estate Roundup on the far left, there's several different options you can click. Yep. Click on Files. There's actually a copy of the letter that we use. Um, there's not instructions on it, but let me just tell you, that letter has been 16 years in the making. Um, that's what, if we send out a mail piece, that is what it's going out 100% of the time, whether it's the first time they're getting it or the 100th time they're getting it, they get the same letter. Now, here's what's really important. You need a blue gel ink pen and you need to either sign your name or, and what we do is we just put initials. So like every letter that goes out, will have a big blue AJJ on it. And we're going to fold that up, and we're going to put it into a really bright envelope. You can get a 50-pack. It's like five different colors off of Amazon for real cheap. Um, but we put it in a really bright envelope. We hand-address the envelope, and then we put a real stamp on it. It's a lot of work. That's why we did so much scrubbing on the front end. But when you're getting 18 to 22% response rate, those letters can be a lot of fun to address. Yep. Um. <sighs> Bradford, get great, on a lease option, uh, how do I get the deposit from the buyer first if I need contract with the seller to be able to market the deal? Do I have to give the deposit to the seller myself first? I mean, so I don't want to put anything in a box. But that being said, it is, in my experience, you need to execute your first deal before you go try to market, because there's really nothing to market until you have either a house or a piece of paper controlling the, the house. Yeah, and, and what I would say with that, too, is also find that agreement with your seller, right? If you tell the seller that, hey, uh, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars down, but I'm going to do it once I've placed a buyer, then that's all fine and dandy, right? That can be worded in the contract. Everything is good to go, and you don't have to work. You know, then you can move forward. That, that's the way around that, in my mind. Yeah, that's definitely because I mean we do them all the time where we'll do a creative deal, and our payments don't start until that property starts producing an income, right? So you, whatever your mind limits you to, is what your limits are. 
So, I mean, you can get as creative as you want to. Um, that's probably the best approach is what you just said. Yeah. Um, Carly asked, just signed up for Lead Sherpa an hour ago. Congratulations. It's a fantastic product. Uh, what is the most efficient way you guys found to upload owner info? Well, Adam doesn't touch any of that. so I don't I will... even... People ask me Sherpa questions all the time. I've never logged in. If something happened to Brent, I can tell you we're going to have to market it in a different way. <laughs> no, I, I, I've trained other people on how to use it, so I'll, I'll be fine. But um, I appreciate that. Bob. What is the most efficient way you guys found to upload owner info? Um, I have only ever used their service for skip tracing other than the stuff that I had. So I pretty much just export all the way from skip trace to campaign. So I use their skip tracing service because it's phenomenal and it's affordable. Uh, very good info for the price. Uh, and this is coming from somebody that has access to TLO and IDI and all that stuff. Uh, I, I found that it's very easy to use them. So that's the best way that I found is just to use them for everything. Upload the list in their format that they send you. Uh, you can download it on the skip tracing part. Put your list in that way. Have it skip trace and go to town. Um, Let me get this next one. Yeah. And then the one after that is another technical question. Okay. I, I see something about a CSV file. I know I'm out. Um, all right. Newbie here. Best lead sources. I've done some direct mail. Got 5% call in, which is pretty dang good. Yeah, which is good. Um I have a website now, and I'm thinking of a newspaper ad. Should I go back and call that mailing list? So I'm going to tell you, Diana, the number one thing that I did wrong, that Brent did wrong, that most people do wrong is lack of focus. Um, so whatever you do, what we typically tell everybody is you need to pick a primary marketing source, and you need to have a secondary marketing source. One needs to be actively approaching leads and one needs to be a little more of a passive driving leads in. So <clears throat> it may be that you're hitting, you know, driving for dollars we talk about is always our go-to. Um, other than that, it can be absentee out of state, tax delinquent, pre-foreclosures, probates. I mean, sky's the limit, you name it. Just pick the one that you like the best and start rocking it. The most important thing is to be the best at that particular thing before you try to move on to the next one. Now, as far as um, the website's great, but you, you're going to have to drive traffic to it somehow, either uh, Google AdWords or Facebook ads. Um, or get really good at SEO. Or really good SEO. Um, the newspaper ads, I'm going to just let the cat out of the bag. You pretty much have to know somebody at the newspaper to get this done, but if you want the most effective, and this is going to, a lot of people are going to, think this is the craziest thing you want the most effective newspaper ad for the price put one in the obituaries it's the second most read part of the paper it's dramatically cheaper than the front page and um most of the people that read obituaries are older right i mean when's the last time you read an obituary never uh well only because i'm i guess you would call me uh I, I, I do look at obituaries. Do you? Yeah, but not not because I'm interested in reading them. I'm just interested in who died and seeing if they have property for sale. Oh, yeah. I mean, outside. <laughs> but, like, like you yeah. know, like, I used to get up in the morning and when I was at my grandparents' house, and they'd flip the, he'd read the front page, and then he'd flip to the obituaries. Yeah. And it just, it works every time. So if you, if you know somebody in a newspaper that can get you into a spot within the obituaries, I'd run, I don't know anybody at the paper these days, 
But if I had that connection, I would run an ad in the obituaries 100%. Well, and see, in South Carolina, the probates were sealed. So I couldn't, unless I knew the case number or had the name of the person, I couldn't look at the file. But what I found out is I could find um, if there was an estate in probate, if I had a name, so I would run all the pro, all the obituaries against the public index for probate cases, and that's how I would initially. That's how I was finding probate cases. That's how you started the sifting process, right? Yeah. So I, I mean, that's the only way I would run a newspaper ad. And then your list that you got—I don't know what kind of list it is—but absolutely go back and call it. So, like, just to give you guys an idea, and then we'll go to the next one. So you need to have some kind of a funnel where, number one, if it's mailing, then you need to mail them two, three, four, five, six times, and then you need to start calling them. Um, Our funnel is a little different. We do text first and then call second, and then whoever's left, they get in a mail loop that's just over and over and over and over and over. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, Carly asked, currently using Reonomy, to obtain the owner info, but cannot export the stuff I need to to a CSV file, would it make my life easier to switch from Reonomy? I have no idea what Reonomy is. is. I've never even heard of it. Uh, don't give me shiny object syndrome. I don't want to go have to go look and see what something else is. But no, <laughs> Adam says no. But anyways, uh, I don't know what Reonomy is. But I will say, if it doesn't let me export something into a CVS or CSV file. I'm probably not going to be using it because that's pretty much all I use, and every data provider I've ever ever been with has used CSV files. So uh, if they won't let you export a CSV file, uh, I would probably move along. But that's just my opinion. I don't like I said, I can't say anything about Reonomy. Never heard of it. Never used it. So um, now you can get it mobile ad as well. Oh yeah, you can do mobile ad newspaper. Oh, that's right. <laughs> You know, for somebody, and this is something you'll hear a lot from us, especially me, especially me, is that um, everything works if you do. And I firmly believe that. Hey, you know, but you need to be consistent. And in order, what Adam was talking about earlier is picking two forms of marketing, one active, one passive. It's something we tell of our mentorship students all the time. Uh, And the reason we say that, because we all made the mistakes of, of basically just taking the shotgun approach and we're going to use this form of marketing and this form of marketing and this form of marketing and, and hoping something sticks. Well, what happens is, is you can't keep up with it all. You can't be consistent with it all. I'm doing bandit signs and I'm doing Facebook ads and I'm doing PPC and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And like then direct mail, I can't keep up with all that as one person and I'm not doing it consistently. Right. So I, and I you got to have a lot of money, a lot of money. You're going to burn through a lot of money, which I did. Um, you know, I was doing well. I had a really good job. So any money I was making in, in wholesaling, I was just pumping it all right back into the business. And you're talking about, you know, $20,000 a month when I got started, just consistently pumping that into, like, marketing channels, education, whatever, you name it. And what I found out was, hey, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, get really good at one thing. And then once you're really good at that, then you can focus on something else, right? So it, and it works the same way with your marketing budget as well. Take all of your money and put it in one avenue. It's going to work if you're consistent with it. I don't care if it's direct mail. I don't care if it's bandit signs. I don't care if it's newspaper ads. Like, granted, you know, I don't know. I've never done a newspaper ad, but I'd imagine if you do enough of them, you're going to get a deal. Especially in the obituaries. (laughs) 
That one's a good one. He actually's never even shared that one with me. So uh, that's a, that's a that's a good one. If you're I just do a remember ad, probably pretty cheap these days. Yeah, I would imagine. Tell tell them you specifically want to be on the paper copy. You'll have somebody that passes out. They're so excited. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and that's not a bad idea. Honestly, I don't know why we aren't doing it. I guess because we haven't reached that level, right? Uh, <laughs> too much other stuff to focus. Too much on. other stuff to focus on. But anyways. Uh, Pick something, right? I don't care what it is. Pick something. Stay consistent with it, and I promise you it will work. Everything works if you do, and you, the only way you can be consistent at it is if you pick one or two things, nothing more, nothing less, until you make enough money to where you can hire somebody to track it or outsource something. There's no point in trying to try every new thing that comes out. Uh, I know it's very tempting. Trust me, I know. I spent a lot of money doing a lot of different things. So I can tell you, I can tell you it all works because I made money with all of it. However, I made more money by getting laser focused on one form of marketing and then moving that into two forms of marketing versus taking a shotgun approach and not being able to handle all the the income calls, the return mail, you know, everything else that's going on. It's just impossible. It's a lot like dating, (laughs) right? You need to, you need to find one and just kind of stick with it. And see what works out. If you try too many at one time, it's very likely that it will blow up in your face. Right? I mean, would you say that's a pretty accurate? It's yeah. a lot to keep up with. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Uh, Natasha asks, currently using REI Pro slash white pages, but I'm still running into tons of numbers not in use. Do you guys have a recommendation for good websites slash service that's accurate but doesn't cost an arm and a leg? Uh, True People Search is free, and I can tell you that I've gotten a lot of really good numbers off of there without having to go through uh, our other resources. Uh, I know you can sign up for IDI. I'm not sure how much it costs a month these days. I know they've changed a lot of things around, but IDI has has very, very, very good data. Probably a little bit more on the expensive side, yeah. uh, but you're going to get what you pay for when it comes to that. Uh, that's kind of the way data is inherently flawed. You, there's no company that gives you a hundred percent hit rate. No company that gives you a hundred percent guarantee that you're going to get the right person on the phone. It's just impossible. Uh, but what you're looking for is to get in that 60, 70, uh, percent range. If you can get in that range, you're doing really good. Uh, so if 60 to 70% of your numbers are accurate, you're doing really good. Um, so if you find something that is that way, stick with it, pay the money. It's worth it. Right. I, I look at everything as a value over price. I don't really care about what the price is. What kind of value do I get out of it? Um, you know, everyone talks about Sherpa. It's expensive. It's five hundred dollars a month. Well, what? Uh, yeah, it's expensive, um, but it's going to make us about uh, I don't know thirty, forty thousand dollars a month. So why would I care about the five hundred dollars a month? It's value. I see. I just got to remember to slow down to eat something. But right, if you are in Mississippi, it is very much way too expensive. It's not worth the money. <laughs> yeah, you don't want it. Um, let's see. What is the most criteria? Oh, that's a great question. Good job, Kimberly. What is the most important criteria you use when pursuing a potential buy and hold deal? So a rental property. So the first thing that we're going to look at every time is cash on cash return. So if there's leverage involved, it gets factored in. Um, if it's you know, creative in some way, we're going to factor all that in. If it's just a cash deal, we're going to see what the cash on cash return is. Um, other that That's number one, I would say the most important. However, 
there's a lot of other factors that we're going to look at. So if it checks that box, we're going to start moving down the list. Um, how long is the area going to be good? Because I, I'm not a huge fan in and I, short-term rentals. I'm not talking about like Airbnb stuff. I'm talking about like one that you'll only have for a year or two. So I want to look at the area. Is it going to be as good or better in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now? That's a very important criteria that we look at. And then you want to start looking at major systems. So is the school district good? You know, that's a box you want to check. And then you want to see how old is the AC? How old is the roof? How old is the electrical? How old is the plumbing? All of those things, because you don't want to get into a good deal and then six months from now have to replace the roof and the AC within 30 days. Um, So that's all things that we want to look at. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to what the cash on cash return is. If that box doesn't get checked, we don't go any further. Right. That's a good one. Sean asked for the new guys, what's the best way to build your cash buyers, and how do you send out your deal if it's really a deal? So for for me, the best way to meet buyers is going to RIA meetings, going to auctions, and networking. Um, that's, I mean, tell everyone what you do, how they can help you, doing those types of things, because you'll be surprised. There's a lot of money out there. There's a lot, a lot of money out there. And there's a lot of people who watch HGTV that go, man, I'd love to do something like that and find a good deal. You'd be surprised what you can come up with when it comes to your buyers. A lot of people got money stashed away in IRAs that you would never think they had money. So a good way to do that is start asking everybody if they know of anyone that would like to make a good return on real estate. I'll I'll tell you right now, I don't... So we'll, we'll do over 100 deals this year. And I think if we took the main part of our investor group, like the actual investors that have all the money, if we took the, the 80% of those that we work with the most, I would be terrified if they signed all their money over and said, put this to use. That's, I mean, I think it's too much money. Like I would be scared to death that we wouldn't find enough to do with it. That's how much money is out there. I mean, it's, tr- it's more than you could ever imagine. And all that money is just begging for a good deal. Yeah. I mean, if you're like me, <clears throat> I was in South Carolina first, so they had a monthly, they had monthly auctions. So every, the first Monday or Tuesday of every month, every single property for that month goes on that day. So there's like 200 properties and there's three, 400 people there. So prime, prime opportunity to go meet everyone that's mine because I'm sitting in the room watching. Oh, that guy just bought one. He bought a second one. He bought a third one. I need to go talk to him. Anybody that's buying more than one property or, or bidding on more than one property, I want to go talk to. Um, uh, you know, here it's a little bit different. We might have, you know, two or three people show up because it's so random. We might be one on a Tuesday and two on a Thursday and, and one next Friday. It just You just never really know. And even the ones on Thursday are probably at different times. Leave it to Mississippi to be totally unorganized. I love it. Don't go <laughs> changing anything. Uh, all right, Vincent, you want to read Vincent's question here? All right, Vincent said, after scrubbing your phone numbers against a do not call list, do you still call that number or do you not call it? Um, from the Sherpa videos, um, it seems like because we're offering to purchase the property, then it's okay to call. How do you feel about this? So I'm going to give you the two options, right? To call or not to call, that is the question. So if you're going to call, you need to be extremely apologetic. And and just if they're on the do not call list, you need to be 
just so extreme with this where you say, listen, I, I'm so sorry to bother you. I, I probably don't even have the right number. I'm just taking a shot in the dark. Uh, my name's Adam. I'm looking for some property to buy in this area. I'm trying to find out something or, or at least find somebody that knows anything about 123 Main Street. If you know something about it, great. I may be interested in purchasing it. If it's not for sale or I got the wrong number, I apologize in advance and then let them talk. Yeah. So that's option number one. Option <clears throat> number two is I've never seen a do not mail list, so you could just mail them a letter and be done with it. This is true. That that would be my approach. Rather than try to call them and fight that battle, I don't because the last thing I want is to get off on the wrong foot with somebody who may be able to give me a good deal. But I'll mail them letters till they tell me to go to hell. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny thing about letters. They they get upset about those too. Mm-hmm. But they never say anything about. I was like, I wonder do they call Domino's and and complain to them like y'all stop sending me these freaking coupons. I want I, <laughs> we've told them that before. People call up and they're like, why did you mail me this letter? My house isn't for sale. I said, well, did you buy any pizza lately? Because I know you got a coupon for that. Ours is the same way. You don't like it, throw it away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Marcus Hill said, I just graduated from college with a degree in computer science. Awesome job, Marcus. Uh, I've landed my first job for 55000 which is great. Right now I'm deciding whether to pay off my $65,000 student loan debt as soon as possible or buy a house, uh, twenty to 40000 to rehab and rent out. I live in Flint, Michigan. Um, I wouldn't pay off a student loan. No, I wouldn't pay off a student loan either, especially if it's low interest. And guess what? Uh, I believe if you do your taxes correctly. Now, again, I'm not a CPA. I don't know this 100%, but I believe you can write off a certain amount of your interest on your student loans, if not all of it, up to a certain amount. I learned this Last weekend. Just like a mortgage or whatever. You can write off the interest. So the interest payments, uh, the interest on the payments, you can write off up to a certain amount of your student loans. Again, I'm not a CPA. You might want to talk to your CPA about that, but I definitely wouldn't be paying off anything that's low interest. This is the way I look at it, right? If you're looking at making an investment and you're looking at making a payoff, right? A lot of people, I want to pay off my home. Uh, I just want to pay it off. And that's if that's your prerogative, which that's totally fine. Yeah, you'll sleep great at night. Yeah, that's that's totally fine if that's your prerogative. However, if you look at it and you go, okay, I got $100,000 in my bank account. I owe $75,000 on my house. I could just pay that off. Well, say it's a 4% interest rate. Can you take my, that, that $75,000 that you're going to go put into your house and make better than a 4 or 5 or 6% interest rate, whatever your interest rate is, can you make more money with that $75,000 than what your 4% interest rate is costing you? And that usually 99.99% of the time, especially if you're here in this group and you know what you're doing with your money, absolutely you can make more money. So I would never tell you to pay down good long-term financing ever. And with student loans, who knows? I mean, every other day there's a plan about how we should forgive student loans. And the last thing you want to do is pay it off. And two weeks later, everybody else's gets forgiven because I promise you, they're not going to write you a refund check. (laughs) No, but, but Brent's exactly right. So anytime you're looking at paying something off versus cashing in an investment somewhere, always just weigh it out. It's not pay this off or invest it over here. It's where am I investing at? Yeah. Um, the Tina asks, how long can a property be put under contract for while waiting on the probate process? You want to give them a little advice on that one? 
I'll tell you what we do. Now, there's some debate. I th- and if CeCe's still on here, she may can chime into this as well. Um, I'll tell you what we do. I don't know what the, the legal... I know you can do option contracts. You, if it's going to take a while, you can do an option contract that's a little longer term. Most of the time, what we do is we'll put our contract in place, and then we'll write in there, in the event title issues prevent closing by whatever the date is, um, This the closing date on this contract will automatically be extended to 30 days after buyer is notified in writing that said title issues have been resolved. Right which typically will push us out. And everybody's usually on the same page anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever had a probate person go, you know, four months and then change their mind once it was done. Um, but that's what we do just to keep from having to fool with extensions and doing addendums. And then, and you're constantly reminding them, maybe there's somebody out there that'll pay more. So we just do it that way right from the get-go. Uh, Mitch and Melvin asked a pretty interesting question, and one never I've never been asked. When running comps, if there's a single story versus a two story with the same square footage, could I count that as a reliable comp? Um, for me, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna see, I want to get your opinion on this too because I've never really looked at that. For me, that a two story more times than none is going to be less valuable in my opinion and harder to sell in my opinion because you cut out a certain portion of people if somebody who's 55 and older and they see stairs they go well heck I, you know 20 years from now or maybe even 10 years from now i'm not going to be able to go up and down these stairs so i don't want it so that's just my a two store is going to be a little bit harder to sell it might be more desirable to younger people uh so it's kind of a catch-22 a dang if you do dang if you don't um is it comparable in your eyes i i mean yes i would say very comparable i'm yeah. gonna i'm i'm with you though i'm not gonna give it if they're side by side, same size, same condition, everything, I'm going to give more value to the single story just because of what, what Brent just said. The main thing that I look for where I really start putting different numbers into place as far as the comps go is you'll run into some where it might be that it's a three-bedroom, two-bath, and all the bedrooms are upstairs, right? We've come across two of those this year already. And that just is a significant value drop in my eyes because that means it doesn't matter how old or young you are, you got to go up the stairs every single day, unless you're in trouble <laughs> and you got to sleep on the couch. But you, everybody gets tired. I'm, I mean, I'm 35, I'll be 36 this month, and I hate walking up and down the steps. Every time I go to my parents' house, my mom's like, hey, can you go grab some paper towels? Oh. So, Hopefully that helps answer your question. Um, just jumped on what to use for your text message campaign. That's Sherpa. You can go to leadsherpa.com for that. Uh, Jordan asks, what's your normal first few qualifying questions when talking to a motivated seller besides repairs and what's owed on the property, of course? Actually, that's... None of the above. Yeah, what you mentioned is exactly what we don't talk about until the very end. Um uh, you want to kind of go, dive into that a little bit, Adam? So we talk about the house for the most – When let me, let me start over. So when the conversation starts and, and there's dialogue that gets opened up, um, my goal is to only talk about the house to the extent they don't feel uncomfortable because I'm not talking about the house. Like that's it. So qualifying questions are not – 
to me, not anything to do with the, what does my dad say? Sticks, bricks, and dirt. Sticks, bricks, and dirt. Um, has nothing to do with any of that and the repairs, any of that kind of stuff. I'm Number one, I'm going to call him. I'm going to start making a mutual connection. I'm going to find some areas of interest that overlap for both of us, and we're going to talk about those for a while. I'm going to ask them about their family, where they've been all their life, what they do, what they're going to do, and then I'm going to start talking to them about what they're doing next. To me, that's the first most important qualifying question, unless you know something already. If it's a pre-foreclosure, right, we've, we've pre- checked that box. <clears throat> right. Um, any, like, absentee out of states, tax, you know, even tax delinquents, for the most part, at least in Mississippi, because usually it's not a big dollar amount to catch it up. But so anyway, let's let's go back for a second. I want to find out about them because the house doesn't motivate them. It's their situation. So I want to start prying into what their plans are next. And either they've thought about it and they give you some good, clear answers, which means, in my opinion, they have thought about it enough that they're committed to the idea of selling which is the first box I want to check. You'd be surprised at how many appointments you're going to go on that you think are qualified and you get in there and they're not even ready to sell yet. So you can't close a deal until they're committed to sell. That's number one. So you want to ask what they're doing next, what that next step is. If they don't know or if they're unsure, one of two things, in my opinion, is usually happening. Either they are so caught up in whatever trap or hole they've put themselves into that they can't even think straight. They know that they're motivated, they've got to do something, but they can't even get there because they can't see over this hole that they're in or out of this hole that they're in. Or they don't know what they're going to do just because they haven't committed to selling it. So that, I mean, that's really the first question that I ask is, hey, what what are you doing if you sell it? If I buy it, what's next? Yeah, what's next? Uh, Amit says, any guidelines on materials and colors for updating a property before you rent it out? I'd like to maximize dollars invested and avoid waste from choosing materials, palettes that are too specific. You need to watch HGTV, my man. <laughs> um, yeah, I would. I mean, I would say we stick with pretty much gray and white on everything. Keep everything. it very simple, very basic. Uh, if it's going to be a rental, we're not putting in. You know, we might we'll we'll put in granite, but that's about as far as we'll go. And good floors. And good floors. Like we'll good, put in like life-proof floors. Good, strong, durable floors. Um, that's tough because we really it, it depends on the house, the area. Yeah, I mean it's a lot of things. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, Natasha asks, "Have you guys ever dealt with a non-rehabable house on a, on good land that would be better torn down? I've heard about donating the home to the fire department so they can use it for live burning exercise. That way, you can save a lot on demo cost. So make sure you check with your fire department." first before you assume that they'll come out there and burn it for you for free um some of them will some of them won't here they will uh in south carolina they will not they said they do not do that anymore um don't you want to know the story behind that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I would love to assume when they burned down the wrong house maybe yeah. you know? <laughs> like the doctor that cut off the wrong leg or something <laughs> so yeah uh ask your fire department first but yes they will absolutely do that in some parts of of, of the country uh and it is a great resource to have and you can get people to to come in and take it down just for the materials yeah Um, just make sure you set just like a contractor you don't get nothing leaves the property till the job is done and you have to do it in this time frame um but actually the last offer i I made today was at seven 
what, 720 or so, same exact situation. Um, told the lady we could pay her cash or terms and that we were going to burn the house down. Which is, I think that's the first time I've ever told a seller I was going to buy their house and burn it down. <laughs> and they were okay with it. And they totally fine. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Josh asks, fellas, let's talk virtual assistance. If I could get someone to schedule my appointments, I'd 10x my productivity. Do you have, have you used offshore or stateside? Could you recommend an organization to work with? So we Josh. Karen. <laughs> yeah. So we have a Karen. Karen's our lead manager. She schedules all our appointments. However, my VA in the Philippines, who's, who has been with me for almost two years now, if not two years uh, total, she's been with me for a long time. She has acted as lead manager. She has acted as admin uh, assistant. She's acted as uh, co-caller. Right now, she's pretty much full-time co-calling for us. Um, she is in the Philippines. She does a phenomenal, phenomenal job. However, I found her myself through uh, several ads, through Upwork, um, and I interviewed like four other people before I went with her. So it was a time-consuming process, and I made sure I got someone that I, I felt like I could trust uh, and someone that I liked. Now every single day, we talk every single day. Every morning, she texts me, hey, this is what's going on today, or this is what happened yesterday, I get a report, all that stuff, right? So the person you choose, I can tell you this as far as like, and if you're looking for a virtual assistant, you're not going to find very many people that are better than they are in the Philippines. You just have to spend the time with them to teach them exactly what you need and how they can help you and make sure you take care of them because they will certainly take care of you. Some of the most hardworking people you will ever meet, always on time, always loyal. As long as you take care of them, they'll take amazing care of you. Hell, she speaks better English than we do. Yeah, she speaks very good English. So um, she's phenomenal. So if you're looking for a VA, again, though, I always tell everybody, don't just go hire a VA because you can hire a VA. Only do it if you feel like you're losing money because you don't have a VA because you're so busy doing other things in your business that lose that, that cost you money that aren't revenue generating. That's when you hire a VA. When you can't go on, like you have too many appointments to go on that you can't possibly fit all the appointments to go on, that's when you hire an acquisition manager, right? When you can, and there's so many phone calls, you can't handle all the phone calls, that's when you take a lead manager, right? So everything has its step, but you don't try to put the cart before the horse. You need to make sure that, okay, this is a problem. I'm losing money because I can't get to, I'm, I'm losing track of everything. I can't keep track of all the leads that are coming in. I have too many appointments to go on that I can't possibly hit them. Oh, I'm having to cancel some. That's when you start hiring people. You hire people because you have a problem, not because you're lazy. Make sense? I hope that makes sense. Because if you hire them too early, you're going to have a big problem in making sure that they have enough to do to provide you enough to do. And uh, what is it they say about overhead? It eats first? Man, overhead does eat first. Oh, here's a good question. SoCal market here. How do you decide which property to hold and which to flip, especially because generally cash flow isn't great, but appreciation is almost always happening? So appreciation, yes, not always. Um, that's the bad thing about a lot of appreciation. So let, let me say this. There is a huge difference in real estate investing and speculating on real estate. We do not, under any circumstances, speculate on real estate. We invest in deals that are great deals today. Now, that being said, you never want to just hold one for appreciation unless you are, it's a piece of property in the direct path of in the near future progress, right? That's a little different. Um, but what I would do is I would just set it to whatever you can afford to hold 
with good long-term financing that somebody else can pay for. That's yep. pretty much the box you want to check. Anything else, flip it. Or or buy until you can't buy any more rentals and then flip some so you can go buy more rentals. The ultimate goal is, goal is buy and hold. Right. Um, but yeah, that's what I would do is if as long as it's good long-term financing, no balloons cuz balloons are for clowns. And so whether it's it's long-term lease options or long-term financing with the bank or good owner financing in place, any of those things can qualify as long as somebody else can afford to pay for it. And if they're not there, you can afford to keep it. Once you check those boxes, keep it. Uh, Jay even chimed in on that. Two-story is is very market-to-market. It's a non-issue some places and almost customary. However, the master is upstairs, and my market is a huge difference, uh, which is kind of what you hit on a little bit right there. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Is running comps something you you do entirely on your own? Is there a system used to help accelerate the process? I'm looking to run comps on the 30 upcoming properties for a sheriff sale. Go for it. What do you do for comps? Index all the houses we bought. <laughs> um, I, I'm not a real great one to answer this question. I'm just not. So uh, let me tell you what. Well, I, I mean, this is how I know the market. So I love driving for dollars. I love to be in the trenches. It just it's where I crave to be all the time. Right on the street in somebody's living room. Cool. We got to move fast. We got 21 new comments, and we're. We might have to go a little long. We'll try to get to everybody. So if you if you ask questions, then uh, we'll try to get to them. I will give you this, Kimberly, on, on running comps real quick. I use a lot of resources. Total View Real Estate, uh, iComps, Realtor.com, Zillow, uh, House Canary, you name it, eComps, everything I can possibly find, I look at every single one of them, and I'll usually take the average of, of the uh, – three lowest comps as my conservative number of what I think that house would sell for. So use all of those just to get a good idea. I usually glance at all those really fast. Uh, luckily, our software that we have now, Investor PO, this is CRM that we use, uh, pretty much takes three of those that I already mentioned and takes them and calculates them for me. And it's usually pretty close. It's usually pretty close. It's not as good as a CMA, which we have a realtor on our team, but it's usually pretty close. So use all the resources that are out there that are free Compare them. It takes a little bit of time, but once you get used to doing it over and over and over, because I'm a stickler for numbers, you'll get used to doing it and come up with your own way of doing it or invest in a good software or CRM like Investor PO. Um, a lot of a lot of these softwares have MLS access. Uh, Mississippi, on the other hand, not one of those places. Not so much. Yeah, not one of those places. I will say this. Be conservative. Um, yeah. It's okay to be wrong if you're on the right side of things. Right. So just remember that going forward. That's our big thing. I'm wrong on comps all the time, but I don't think I'm ever over, which is great. So if it, you know, if everything falls into place, your number should be good. And if you're wrong, it's a pleasant surprise. Right. I actually lied. I started scrolling down. I was like, oh, no, never mind. There's not. It's just a bunch of people answering other people in the group, which is awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate everyone answering we got a few more minutes. So, again, I want to say thank you guys for tuning in. Um, again, we do this every single week. Normally, it's a guest or a topic that we're covering. 
tonight, since we had so many new people, we want to just do an all live Q and A. Uh, you can find all of our previous videos by going to YouTube. Uh, and I will type that here in the comments. That's youtube.com forward slash wholesale hackers. Uh, so you can go back and watch all those. Make sure you go and hit the subscribe button. We'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, also, Real Estate Roundup Live. Check that out, rerlive.com for more information on that, on ticket prices, who's all going to be speaking. We actually got to update a lot of things because we actually added some more speakers. However, make sure you go do that. Uh, flipping thumb rules for a healthy profit. Thumb rules for a healthy profit and time. I'm not sure if that's a question or... We, I, I think they're asking for just general rule of thumb. Oh, general rule of thumb. To do a flip. Um, I can tell you ours is all across the board. It's We don't have a system for that. It's literally deal by deal. Um, we're going to look at... So so in Mississippi, obviously, there's a lot of different areas. I mean, there there is in most markets, but we have to be in a lot of different areas and and just types of areas just to hit the numbers that we do. So what we try to focus on is if it's a good school district, a newer house, um, you know, we might be good at the 80% yeah. when all is said and done. I mean, we've done that on several deals where, I mean, they contracted in 24 hours. It wasn't a heavy rehab job, but we'll kind of weigh out everything from how fast we think it'll sell at what price, how big the project is, what the total dollar amount going in is versus what we're pulling out, and we'll just weigh all those things out. And if it's a quick, you know, quick rehab in a good school district and a newer house in a great neighborhood, I mean, eighty percent's not that bad. Right. Um, we've done some where, you know, I, if I'd have gone over fifty percent, I'd have just been really upset with myself. Um. Let's see here. Thank you, bro. Next time you're in Charleston or in Columbia, let's connect. I love Charleston, so uh, definitely. We're going to be in Columbia sometime or another this summer. Uh, I've been doing some wholesaling in the Louisiana, Mississippi area, and I've noticed that Mississippi is always a bit behind when updating their info. Is this just down to the counties, or do you all find some of the entire state is that way? And by info, I mean the new sales info, owner info. So, yeah, it takes a long time. Actually, I bought my house well over a year ago. It's still not updated on Delta. Uh, so, yeah, it does take a while. I, I know that by our county. Again, it's all going to be based on county to county, how fast they enter things. Um, so, yeah, it takes a while. Here's a good one. Uh, I have a deal in front of me for nine units at 500 k. I don't have all the capital uh, to put a down payment on the deal, so I was thinking of wholesaling it. On the surface, do you think I should try to find the money to afford the deal as a buy and hold or wholesale it? Um, if that's your first deal, I think that that is like a nine-month-old trying to eat an elephant, <laughs> and they're probably going to choke. Um, and, and you may could do it and crush it and kill it and just everything go great. I'm telling you, if my first deal was a nine-unit Half a million, half a million dollar deal. I would probably be digging ditches somewhere because it—that's a lot to take on. Now, um, one thing you can do instead of trying to find the money, find the money, but don't try to put any of your money into the deal and own some of the equity for finding the, and putting the deal together. So, like, say I'll help manage it. I'll help I'll make sure it's operational, and I'll take X amount of equity in the in the property for finding it and putting everything together for you. So that that is a possibility. However, you, I just realized that it's a lot of risk for my first deal, and the cash flow isn't that great. 
mm, it's cash flow isn't that great. What's your cash on cash return, right? For me, I'm weighing, I'm we're all weighing like headache. You know, if it's a big headache, then I'm going to need a heck of a return. If it's easy, guaranteed money in the bank, just about, I'll take a little less. So I mean, everything's all perspective. It's up to you, but. From the sound of it, it doesn't sound like that great of a deal already. Yeah, cash flow is, I mean, that's the whole reason you buy nine units. Yeah. Is, is cash flow. I didn't realize that that logo was legit right over my head. Mm-hmm. Yep. Charles pointed that out. The <laughs> RER Live hat is on. Uh, oh, he said it was 5%. 5%. Oh, no. Nope. No, 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 no. I'm not I, touching that. I, and I will you. tell you this. If you live in California... Uh, invest your money elsewhere. Elsewhere, yeah. most Californians are. I see their money out all over the place. Well, there's a lot in Mississippi. Yeah, um, but no, five percent, not a chance. I I don't know of anybody that would touch that. We have a few guys that'll go nine or ten percent on a single family, um, but that's with equity and attracting the kind of tenants that they never get a phone call from. Yeah, um, most of our guys are going to want twelve, fifteen, twenty percent plus. Uh, here's a good question. What cash on cash return would you call good versus okay versus awesome? Okay is eight to ten percent. Yeah. Um good is twelve to eighteen. Awesome is twenty four percent plus. Yeah. And I'll tell you guys just as a general rule of thumb, try to because uh, we ain't got time to teach you how to use financial calculator tonight. <laughs> um so as a general rule of thumb, for every five thousand dollars you put out of your pocket. A hundred dollars a month going into your pocket after expenses is a twenty-four percent return. Yeah. So it's a very easy calculation if you do, you know, if it's ten thousand dollars out and you're gonna be making a hundred dollars a month at the end of the day, that's a twelve percent return. Yeah. So a lot of it and there's a lot of other factors. So, you know, you might buy one that is at eighty percent of the ARV. And you're you're making eight percent on your money, right? But you know that in a year or two you can sell that and cash in, and then you're on long term capital gains taxes. So there, I, I hate that, we, and I say this because I hate that it we can't give you guys just direct answers because if we did, they would either be incomplete or incorrect. Yeah. Um, so you're going to get that's one of the things, and that's why we always go over time is because we don't want to give you the simple answer and move on. We want to give you all the things to think about for being a good long-term real estate investor. Right. And the answer is always, a lot of times you're going to hear is, well, that depends. It depends. Uh, A lot of things, I mean, it's going to be based on your investing style, based on what kind of returns you like, based on the headache that you're going to have to have. I mean, it really does depend. I mean, a lot of people, if you tell them you get a 5% return on their money, they'd be pretty happy with it. Just not very smart real estate investors. Yeah. Because they know I can go and make way more money uh, with less headache. Right. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm not touching a 5% return. Heck, I know a guy that's got a 1,700-acre ranch. He might even be listening out in Texas who's got a lot of properties, over 400, I think. Uh, he, won't look at, he won't look at anything unless it's a 15% return. Look. He won't look at it. He won't even look at it unless it's a 15% return. There's your pre-qualifying question. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I know Pete, same way, 12%. He's kind of, if it's not making 12%, then I'm probably not going to, if I can't make 12% on it somehow, some way, then uh, it's probably not a good good idea. And I will tell you guys, on a cash purchase, sometimes that is very tough to do consistently. Um, 
But that's when you get into leverage, and that's a whole nother ball game. So uh, Amit asks, what's the minimum cash-on-cash cash ROI you, uh, you target for multifamily properties? We actually don't do multifamilies. Um, it's not that we wouldn't. We just do so many single-family deals that it, if we look the at right some, deal came along. Yeah, we, we look, we, at, look, we look at, at duplexes, and we look at some triplexes and quads. Nothing bigger than that we haven't looked at. I don't want to get into big multifamily units, but like duplexes, triplexes, quads, stuff like that. Because your mean, exit strategy is still good. Yeah. So that that's one thing that we keep in mind is exit strategy a lot. So what would you say if you were to invest, say those duplexes, but we're looking at getting, what's your minimum cash on cash return that you would need to have to make sense of it? Fifteen percent plus. Yeah. If it's if it was my cash, it's going to be fifteen percent plus. But now that is because it's a great area. It's the number one school district in the state. They're in good shape. They're somewhat newer compared to most of the multifamilies around there that are in that same category. Um, it's on a street that is going to be in the path of progress um, over the next 10, 15 years. That area around it's going to grow up real big. So there's a lot of factors that go in there. But, I mean, I'd do it for 15%. Right. Um, Andrew says, how do you compensate your co-caller? We pay her. Two ten a week and a hundred dollars per contract that she that she uh, initiates and gets closed. I um, say again, if something happens to you, I don't give her my email address. I see her message us on Slack all the time. I just don't even know how to respond. <laughs> I'm hoping you're kidding a little bit. Anyways, guys, uh, I guess we got one more question here. Would you rather have a 19 percent gross ROI on a buy and hold or a thirty thousand dollars spread on a flip? Uh, I don't really like gross ROIs. Yeah, that's. A- I like to know what my net is. Um, but again, it depends. Is it going to be a good investment for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? If it's going to be good and appreciate at 3% or 4% plus a year, keep it. Nineteen If you're netting 19%, that's a great yeah, deal. I'll take the 19% all day. Because you won't replace that. Even with your thirty k, but you're going to pay taxes on that, and and then you're getting into, you can depreciate, you can leverage, you get appreciation, hopefully. Yeah. So I mean, nineteen percent that's hard to get on a lot of real estate deals without using leverage real carefully. All right, Andrew has to throw one last question in just because he's Andrew. Uh, been doing this for a minute now, but when I was getting first getting started, my biggest question was, when do you know that you are ready to start talking to sellers? Are you interested in real estate? Start talking. Start talking. You know what? I asked Pete Fortunato. I was like, hey, you know, I know they're not up to date on their marketing skills, uh, but genius mind when it comes to real estate. I said, how in the heck did you guys acquire so many properties? How this did you great. do it? How did you guys do it? You don't do any marketing whatsoever. You have like zero overhead. It's insane. Like what what did you do? He says, Well, I'll tell you what to do. He said, You want me to tell you what to do? I'll tell you what to do right now. I said, All right. Great. And your notepad ready. Oh yeah, yeah. Geared yeah. up. He goes, find a neighborhood you like. I said, Okay, got it. He goes, Go knock on every door, step back and ask for help. I said, And and what? He says, just ask for help. So what are they supposed to help him with? He said, just ask for help. I said, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what the man did. He's like the Stephen Hawking of, of real estate. He's a genius. 
The guy. Mad the, genius. The, his mind is insane how it works. Uh, you want to talk about untangling a mess when they die? There's no one going to be able to figure out what the heck he's got going on. It'd be interesting to watch. There's gonna be some great stories come out of that. I mean, no. I mean, I, can you think of anyone that would know? I mean, I, I thought your dad would be bad enough, but I mean, watching him and Clyde and how they do things, man, I no. You couldn't write it down and have <laughs> me figure it out. I don't think they know. Most of well, no, no. I mean, even Clyde, he called us one time. He was like, "Well, apparently, I own an apartment complex in Gautier." Oh yeah, the, and he owned a, he owned a mobile home too, or something. That was another guy. Yeah, yeah, had a had a note on a mobile home park. Didn't even that was Terrell, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I own a mobile home. I'll go check it out. And yeah. Tell me what it looks like. Mobile home park. <laughs> yeah, mobile home park. That um, <laughs> that's a good level to be at when you forget about apartment complexes and uh, mobile home parks. Yeah. So, anyways, guys, uh, we went a little bit long, but thank you guys so much for tuning in. Episode forty two. We got to recap a little bit of our Phoenix trip. Big shout out to Steve Trang, uh, Heim, obviously Pace. Brent Daniels just jumped on. That was an incredible 45 minutes. Yeah, it was, very, it was a very good 45 minutes. So I'm just glad we missed the push-up contest. Yeah, I wouldn't have done so well in the push-up contest. <laughs> I'm trying to get there. I've done several things since we got back because I felt like this was a big breakthrough for me, uh, and I got it from Ed Milet. If you guys haven't checked out him, his podcast, uh, it's phenomenal. The Passionate Few podcast that he did was like really struck a chord with me. It's like, if I fail in my health and I'm not doing what I should be doing to be healthy, what other areas in my life and in my business am I failing at? And that one really kind of hit me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I really, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I got I to gotta get this thing going. So it's water, no sugar for me, uh, a little bit of exercise, gave up the, uh, the old nicotine habits, uh, gave up those things. So it's going to be interesting. But I'm serious about it because I feel like if I'm going to be serious about everything, I need to be serious about everything, right? So we'll get it done. Hopefully by October you'll see a nice, slim-looking uh, young man who feels better, feels 100 times better. We'll see how it goes. Maybe we can do a push-up contest with Brent Daniels. I got a lot of catching up to do. You got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> a lot. Maybe we can do that. Let's schedule that. We'll, we'll have the whole room doing push-ups. Not not me. Yeah, we'll have the whole room doing push-ups. I don't judge. care if you can only do five. I'll count. <laughs> so come to the uh, Brent Daniels and Brent Marino push-up challenge, October 25th, 26th, and 27th. That's right. We need three full days of push-ups. It's going to be a challenge. Make sure you guys are there. I don't know that either one of us could beat him if he broke his arm. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. He's Well, they say he's the strongest guy in real estate. Probably. Probably. <laughs> I'd believe it. He's he's awesome. But anyways, uh, we'll sit, Brent. Let's go. Let's do it. All right, uh, we're gonna do it. I, I promise you, Brent. I will. Now I got a challenge. Crap! What did I just do to myself? A lot of push ups. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess every morning I'm getting up and doing push ups because uh, I got I got to go. I'm gonna record these, and me and Brent are gonna have a little bit of fun with it. It's the uh, Brent versus Brent challenge. Oh, be be squared. Well, look, my money's on Brent. Yeah, well, you you placed your money wisely, mm-hmm. sir. Very wisely. My money's on Brent. Uh, what's the odds on that? Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> <laughs> percent. So, anyways, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Real Estate Roundup, episode forty-two. We'll be back again next Tuesday night, eight p.m. Central Standard Time. Make sure you're here. Have your questions. Uh, we're not sure what topic we're going to cover with next. Uh, cover next week, but we promise we will be covering something. Uh, yeah, and we're going to get Pace on to talk about mobile homes pretty soon. 
Yeah, we gotta have pace on. I, you know what? I really want pace to like come here, sit here. I'll drive you around, pace. Uh, yeah, pace. We will drive you around, and we'll cook you some amazing food. Or my wife will cook you some amazing food. I can't cook, so oh, my wife you're will in cook so you some much amazing trouble. food. Brent Daniels just put two men enter, one man leaves. Oh, okay. Hey, look, man, you're coming to the sip, so just know that we got. I got home turf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know the air is thicker out here for him than it is for us. So he's just he's gonna be like coming down like a runner coming back from Tibet. He's yeah. just gonna be just. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm, I have no chance. I'm hey, y'all, it. get your tickets for RER Live. We may just do it on stage in October. Just have a blast. <laughs> so we will see you guys next week. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation at wholesalehackers.com and the Real Estate Roundup Facebook group. Learn how you, too, can become part of the Wholesale Hacker family. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube for weekly vlogs at youtube.com slash wholesalehackers. Last but not least, please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss the next guest we put in the hot seat. Now get out there and take action. Till next time, this is the Real Estate Roundup, signing off, signing off.